With you, if you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be reading the first nine verses. Ephesians chapter 6 and from verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live a long time in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's uh, commit our time to the Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that your word would be clear and that your spirit would be uh, at work in each of our hearts to um, teach us, to guide us, to encourage us, to challenge us where necessary, that you would be glorified in this place. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What profession, job title or occupation do you consider requires moral fibre in order to be effective? What job requires real depth of character? I was trying to think of some of the occupations we have here at Canterbury Gardens. I mean, does a doctor or an engineer, a teacher or a tradie, perhaps one of the um, emergency services, the police, fireys or ambos, Perhaps a salesman or a businessman, maybe a lawyer or a nurse, or those working in some sort of admin role, or other occupations that I've not even mentioned this morning. I wonder what difference their private lives make as to how effective they can be in all of these roles. Because the reality is that there are people who do very well in many cases fulfilling all of these responsibilities despite their personal life being in turmoil being in shambles. There are things like domestic violence, there's infidelity, there's alcohol and drug abuse. It seems dishonesty is chronic in the workforce. There is a general sense of selfishness, of any real lack of care for anyone else. You see, we can be high functioning in the world and lack any engagement, any depth, any real substance in the areas of our lives that few people see. And this is one of the key messages, I believe, that Paul wants us to consider this morning. For those of us in ministry, and that means all of us, we're all in ministry. If we're children of God, we're in ministry. For any of us in ministry, there is no room for such a disconnect between our public and private lives. Over the last month or so, we've talked about things such as unity in the body of Christ putting off the old and putting on the new, living out the gospel message we proclaim, walking in love. Last week, we looked at the relationships between wives and husbands. And this morning, Paul speaks to the connection between children and parents, servants and masters. Yet these instructions can only ever be truly become a reality. We can only accomplish what Paul describes here by being filled with the Spirit. A Christian does not in and of himself, through their own willpower, giftedness or strength, 
achieve what the apostle asks without God's spirit. Ephesians 4.30, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Chapter 5, we're told to be filled with the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians to walk, indeed to keep in step with the Spirit. Even our prayers in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 are said to be Spirit-led. It's through an honest appraisal of these key relationships in our lives that we're going to look at this morning, where we have opportunity to take an inventory of where our lives are at. Are we Spirit-filled or self-filled? Spirit-led or self-led? The health and openness or otherwise of these relationships points to one's true character. Ultimately, we cannot hide our true selves from those that we spend the most time with, from the people we live with, the people we work with. I believe that God wants us to see in these verses how the most fundamental relationships of life are used by the Holy Spirit to shape and reveal our character. We all love those mountaintop experiences and they're important for us. But what about the everyday? Is it just to be endured? Does my normal day-to-day existence count? God says a resounding yes. In fact, I would go so far as to say that how we live in the day-to-day is of more significance than, than the public persona, persona we portray to others. When we're out and about. But there's a sobering reality that we can't ignore. If we're involved in Christian service, whatever it might look like, it might be teaching kids church, leading youth and young adults, could be leading a small group, could be being a pastor and elder, could be involved with com, it could be one of those key roles behind the scenes in church life that the church depends upon but few people see. It is possible at least up to a point to live one way in this church setting and another way when we're away from here. That's why the qualifications of leaders in the church, of deacons, of elders, of pastors, include in such detail how they handle relationships outside the church. Because it's these relationships that go to the heart of the kind of people that we really are. It's in their conduct, in the day-to-day stress, busyness and influence of the world that we find the true mark of God's people. And this is particularly so with those that lead the church. I was, I was a little taken back when I was going through the process of being considered uh, to become an elder here at Canterbury Gardens. And one of the things that Steve Bentley said to me is that uh, we'd like a reference from your boss. And that took me back a little bit, but as I thought about it, I realised how important it is. How important that leaders in the church have a good reputation outside of it. What kind of impact do they have in their workforce and with their non-Christian friends? So here are four day-to-day upfront relationships that Paul points to. Firstly, he speaks to children. He says, obey your parents, honour your father and mother. Not because they're always right not because you necessarily always agree with them, not because they necessarily deserve or have even earned that privilege. Paul gives two reasons. Because it's right, because God will bless you for it. The natural order of things is that a parent is the responsible, wise adult in the parent-child relationship. Now, I know there are exceptions, but that's the natural order of things. The parent is the wise, responsible adult. And it's only right and natural that a child obey their parents while they're young. 
But Paul adds to our understanding by including the phrase, in the Lord. If you're a child or teenager who claims to know Jesus, there is but one option open to you. Now we always preface these words with a caveat, with a clause that in all we discuss this morning, it's assumed you're not being asked to do what is contrary to God's will, God's word. If parents, spouses or employees are asking us that which is not consistent with the word of a loving God, then his revealed word takes precedence. But it's important we know the difference because sometimes our hearts can deceive us. Sometimes our hearts can deceive us into thinking that what we want is what God wants. We need to know the difference. The point for children is this. Obey your parents before God as your appointed guardians. They're there for your good, given a mandate by God to love, care, protect, and guide you into adulthood. As a Christian parent, they seek to ready you for taking personal accountability before the Lord for your lives. And please understand they will give account. Children are special in God's eyes. Those who care for them will give account. But what about an older teenager or even an adult? At what point does this command become null and void? I mean, we grow into adulthood. Maybe we're still at home, maybe we've left home, we've started a family of of our own. Here's how I see it. Obedience to your parents has a limited shelf life. Honouring your parents has no such restriction. Obedience is an action. Honour is an attitude. If you're an adult and your parents expect or ask you to do something, here's the reality. You're no longer under their authority. You have every right to go your own way. In fact, one of the key responsibilities of a wise parent is to prepare you for this day, is to prepare you for the time when, when you're personally accountable for your own actions, before the law of the land and before your God. But as a Christian, there is an expectation that you will always honour them. You will not belittle or mock them. You will regard their opinion. And where you disagree, you'll communicate why without disrespecting them. And as, as you've heard Tim's testimony this morning, and as I heard it uh, a few years ago, that is what stuck out to me the most. Here's a young man that needed to stand up and say to his parents, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I must do what he wants me to do. But I never heard in Tim's description him putting down his parents, him thinking, him describing bitterness toward his parents. Let me say it again, obedience is an action, honour is an attitude. There is a special blessing appointed to a child who lives out these truths. It's been a key commandment of God right from the early stages of the Old Testament right through to the New Testament. He has always impressed upon his people the importance of honour and respect of parents as being one of the keys to a fruitful life. So the question is why? Why is it so important? Why does God see it so significant that children honour, obey their parents? Well, I believe that in part it's because a self-indulged, rebellious child grows up into a self-indulged, rebellious adult. And it's simply another hurdle to overcome in becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, we know nothing's too hard for God. 
He can reach us regardless of wherever we're at. I'm testimony to that and so are you. But insofar as we're able, if we're able to submit to the Lord, if we're able to honour our parents, it goes well as we continue on that journey. Well, in verse 4, Paul turns to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I know it's true that mothers are more than capable of provoking their children to anger, but I want to have a word with you fathers. Those of you with young children, teenagers or even adults, perhaps even your grandfathers out there, because verse 4 is slated directly at you and I. Put your hand up if you're a dad this morning. Put your hand up if you're a father this morning. Put your hand up if you'd like to be a father one day. Keep your hands up if you're a father. I mean, it's a little embarrassing to sort of admit, yeah, I'd like to be a dad one day if I'm not. I understand that. There are lots of fathers here. You can put your hands down. Thank you. There are lots of fathers associated with church life at Canterbury Gardens. Many of them are here. Many of them aren't here this morning. Sometimes... um, when I have conversations with people, you know, we're breaking the ice, sort of say, so do you live around here? Do you have a family? Um, we talk about their kids. Invariably, the conversation comes around, they say, how many kids have you got? So um, sometimes when I say we've, we've had five kids, um, there are a few comments that are made, but one of the more common comments is, oh, well, you must have had lots of experience and, and you must have everything down pat. And uh, while I think, in a sense, we, ha- we do have lots of experiences, sometimes I can't help but feel that having more children means there's more opportunities, more creative ways to mess it up. And so the words I share with you dads are words that have been a challenge to me too. Now, before we go any further, I want to say it's not always easy being a dad. I have real sympathy for dads. It's not always easy. I know that you mums out there could rightly lay claim in many cases to being the hardest workers in your home. I know that's true in my own home. And I'm in no way downplaying the key contribution you make in the life of your family. But I want to say it again. Being a dad's not always easy. It's not always easy navigating the right balance between cultivating a career and being involved in family life. I found it a real challenge when even the best of my humour is simply reduced down to being just dad humour, dad jokes. It's a challenge when the day comes, our self-esteem is shaken because the kids are now stronger, better at sport or smarter than we are. It can be hard to accept that there is any other male that's good enough for our little girl. Or to acknowledge... One day, when the day arrives that our kids realise we don't know everything, we can't fix everything, and actually their dad is just like everyone else. Only, perhaps, everyone else's dad's a little bit more interesting than their own. Now, some of you are aware I've been surreptitiously taking a survey of uh, some of the dads in church, and also some of the dads I know outside of church. Uh, over the last few weeks, and I asked them what were some of the things their father did to provoke them to frustration or anger, or in turn, how they as fathers have done so to their own own children. Now, 
there's no, nothing to worry about, fear not. I didn't write down any names. There's not going to be any pastoral visits as a result. And for your information, the first people, the first group that I surveyed were my own kids. Um, sat down and said to them, so how have I um, frustrated you? How have I even provoked you to anger? And it started off really well. They're sort of looking at each other and saying, well, we can't actually think of, of much. But as they warmed up, they seemed to find more and more. <laughs> so here it is, a short list of what I've gathered in talking to people, interspersed with some of my own thoughts. 11 things that might provoke your children to anger. Now, fear not, there's not 11 big points. We'll get through them quickly. And they're not in any particular order. And also, there are some of you that have shared things with me that I've not written here. I was simply trying to get some common threads, some of the more common threads that, uh, in terms of responses that people have made. So here we go, 11 things. Firstly, constantly making and breaking promises. Dads, how unlike your heavenly father is that? Constantly making and breaking promises. Being inconsistent, changing the rules. I mean, is my dad's standards going to be the same today as it, is, as it was yesterday? These only leads to confusion and frustration in the hearts and minds of our kids. Here is a common theme through many people that I spoke with. Number three, punishing your children on flimsy or no evidence and so ending up punishing the innocent. Dads, our children remember that injustice for a lifetime. I was a pretty rebellious young man. There was a lot of dis uh, discipline meted out in my house. But there's two things that stand out to me over and above everything else. And they were the two times that I copped discipline and I was innocent. I can tell you about it in detail. Your kids will remember those days, dads. If you're not always sure, always err on the side of grace. It's something that we have tried to implement in our own parenting. If we're not sure about the matter, we always seek to err on the side of grace. I, I don't try and play private detective in my own home. We've often said to our kids that we trust God to reveal what's important because we want them to be able to grow up understanding something of God's grace, just a small portion of God's grace through how their dad deals with them at home. Moving on, exhibiting frustrate frustration and anger. Dads, as a father, we can provoke our children to anger by modelling it in our own home. If your default setting is to get angry, if your method of winning or ending a discussion is anger, if raising your voice so it is louder than anyone else wins the day, if your children witness that you cope with the stress and strain of life through venting anger and frustration, then it should come as no surprise when they start to exhibit the same coping methods. The first memory verse I ever learnt, I think I've shared it before, James 1, 19 and 20. God must have known that this was the exact right passage for me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Following on, the, on from that, Dad, number five, disciplining in our anger. Disciplining in our anger. Not only doesn't work... It's actually a sin. We shouldn't discipline our children in our anger. Sometimes it's appropriate to put it off. Sometimes in our own home, uh, I've said to my wife, 
I'm really angry about this and she will go and deal with the issue. Or sometimes it can be vice versa. Don't discipline in your anger. Dads, if the goal of your discipline is not to point your children to the wonder of God's love in Christ, you are totally missing the point. Godly discipline leads to presenting the gospel to our kids. It involves telling them about both the wonder of giving and receiving forgiveness. It's a God-given opportunity we have to sit down with our kids and let them see through the way we engage with them about the wonder of the gospel, to let them hear about the wonder of the gospel, to experience what it means to be forgiven and in turn to give forgiveness to others. I know this is not always possible. I mean, you're in the middle of a supermarket and one of the kids is throwing a hissy fit. I understand that that's not the right time. But wherever possible, wherever practical, the goal of our parenting is to point them to Jesus. What about incessant nagging? Who here likes, likes to be nagged? None of us do. I don't expect anyone to put their hand up. None of us like nagging. So why do we think our children would? If we keep on their backs about every little thing, they will think that putting the lid on the peanut butter jar or, or forgetting to empty the dishwasher is as serious as lying, is as serious as hardness of heart. Belittling words or embarrassing them in public. Interestingly, the, the concept of in, fathers embarrassing their children in pu- public seemed to be a much bigger issue to some of the ladies that I spoke to. Having their dads embarrass them in public. But it includes also belittling words, having fun at our children's expense. I'll tell you a story from, from my own experience. Our oldest daughter, Melanie, is now a beautiful woman, Christian lady. Um, but I remember when she was just a little girl, maybe eight or ten, and she went out to hang the washing out. And as she walked past me, I said something to her, uh, made a joke at her expense. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to do with the fact that it took a long time to hang the washing out and it wasn't done very neatly. And I didn't think any more of it. Melanie walked inside and apparently what happened is that her mum, being the great mum she is, noticed that she was upset, went and talked to her. Melanie said, this is what Daddy said. Gay again being the wise mother she is, said, you need to go and tell your dad about this. So Melanie uh, comes to me and she's got tears running down her face and she says, Daddy, I'm sorry. Daddy, I only want to make you proud of me. God used that to teach me um, because what father whose, whose little girl comes to him in tears saying, I'm sorry, uh, does not soften her heart. I'd like to say that it's never been a case in my house again that I've not done that, but I probably have in truth. But it was still a moment in time that God challenged me. Not spending time with them and just having fun together. I know that it's a cliche and you've heard it before, but the time goes really quickly. Family ought to be a place where happy memories are created, whereas adults, your kids are able to look back with fondness. being one thing at home and another in the world. We know God hates hypocrites and our children find it hard to live with one. Poor communication, not taking time to listen or making wrong assumptions are all part of poor communication. 
finally, and if I was going to put these in order, this would not be last on my list, but finally, dads being able to say, I'm sorry. Few things can exasperate more than a parent who's too prideful or stubborn to say, I'm sorry, when it's appropriate. I mean, we ask our kids to do it, don't we? One of the things I often ask the men I catch up with is this. Have you said these words to your children? I'm sorry, I was wrong, forgive me. I've not known a father that does not grow in the estimation of their kids when they're honest with them about their own journey toward godliness. When they've been angry, unfair, unkind, when they've broken promises, being able to go to their kids and say, I'm sorry, I want to be better, please pray for me. Now, I don't want you to go away thinking I'm an advocate for child-centric parenting, I'm not. There will, of course, be times when we deny our child's wishes because we are wanting to train them up, to guide them, to protect them. It's one of the tragedies of modern parenting, I think, that uh, we are not prepared at times to disappoint our children for their own good. But dads, as we move on in our thoughts, we're told, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 5.29, just a few verses back, says this, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That word nourish is the same word as bring up we have here in verse 4. It's a term that points to care and concern that is beyond some sort of tough style love of many fathers today. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up, nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, don't neglect the key role you have in the training of your children. Too often we leave it up to our wives, thinking we're too busy or too tired. After all, our wives know our kids better than we do. They spend more time with them. And so there is this temptation to abdicate our God-given role in the lives of our kids. And Paul points to a kind of a two-edged sword here, discipline and instruction. I think for many of us dads, the discipline part of it is a little easier than the instruction. The discipline, okay, you've done the wrong thing, these are the consequences, bang, it's done. But instruction implies that we, we build a relationship with our kids. Instruction implies that we get to know our kids. Instruction implies that we're prepared to sit down with our kids and journey through with them what's going on in their hearts, in their lives. I really think that discipline without instruction is eventually soul-destroying in the lives of our kids. It can lead to legalism or discouragement and disillusionment. It points many of our kids toward thinking that outward appearance is the key to keeping their dads happy. Far too much pastoral care in today's world is taken up with helping people to see the difference between obedience out of love and obedience to gain love or acceptance. And it can start in our home. Uh, some time ago, I was uh, reading an article by a pastor, and he asked his congregation, the men in his congregation particularly, to write a reflection, the older gentleman, of their life. Here is the reflection of one father um, in relation to his, his parenting. This is what he says. My family is all grown up and the kids have all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do differently. I would love my wife more in front of my kids. I would laugh with my children more. 
out our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the smallest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I would focus more on myself, on God refining me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then, finally, if I had to do it all over again, now listen here, dads, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them toward God. You dads who put your hands up earlier, my prayer this week has been that this will not be the reflection of you as you look back on your life. Well, Paul goes on from verses 5 to 9, and he talks about the relationship between slave and masters, or as we rightly interpret it uh, in today's society, the relationship between employees and employers. Now, we're not going to look in depth at what Paul has to say for the sake of time. But I just want to point three things out. Firstly, Paul recognises that words without actions are cheap. If we want the words of our mouth to gain traction in the world, we better, our activity better back it up. We cannot control the way people respond to us as Christians, whether they reject our faith or our words, whether they treat you like you're in some kind of cult. I had that moment a few weeks ago. We were talking about someone brought up the issue of some television evangelists being multimillionaires and the, and the naivety of people to be giving money to their ministries. And I said, that, that's part of my worship to God. I, I give money um, to the church. And I cop I these looks like, I can't believe you're some sort of intelligent guy. All you're doing is making someone rich. See, we can't control what people think. But what we can do is to provide no sense, no opportunity, no cause or justification for an accusation along the grounds of our laziness, our dishonesty, our lateness, or our bitterness towards our boss or our work colleagues. That's what we can do. Secondly, those with authority in the workplace will never have opportunity to speak into the lives of those under them if they have not, in their dealings, been fair reasonable in their expectations and committed to building relationship with them. In today's world, respect has to be earned. Most young people don't give it automatically. They want you to earn it. Thirdly, whether we are employees or employers, our motivation before Jesus is what we can do to bring him honour. Our primary goal in the workforce is not to accomplish our own agenda, for our own satisfaction, status or financial gain. Our conduct and attitude has a great deal to say about whether our message is to be heard. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. So as we conclude, as I mentioned earlier, is our life spirit-filled or self-filled? I wonder what God's spirit might be challenging us with this morning. It's kind of a captain obvious to say we're all children. We've all got parents. As hard as it can be at times, we have opportunity to be radically different in the way we have relationship with our parents. 
I wonder, are there things in your response, in your attitude, behavior, or relationship towards your parents that God would want you to repair or confess? Here's the sobering reality. To think that we can be effective for Jesus elsewhere while living in conflict with our parents is naive and it's simply not God's way. There's too much in the scriptures about this to say it's not important. It is important. Now, there's a temptation when I mention that for maybe many of us sitting in this section of the church to maybe have a bit of a sideways glance at maybe some of the young people sitting over here. Maybe there are children over here of yours. As I mentioned earlier, we're, we're all someone's child. And I know there are adults that carry burdens in relation to their parents. The challenge is there for you too. Your parents may not even be with us anymore, but that's all right. God is there to listen. Perhaps there are dads out there listening who can acknowledge their own shortcomings in the words that have been spoken this morning. To you, I just want to say, welcome to the fold. Welcome to the challenge of fatherhood. Welcome to the vast majority of Christian dads who want to be all they can be in seeing their kids grow into well-adjusted, godly men and women. Is it time for you to bow your head before your heavenly father? Asking him to help you recalibrate your priorities, attitude, or the interaction you have with your kids. As Shabu mentioned last week, it's a great opportunity to look around you, consider families that you respect, and go, go and tap a dad on the shoulder and say, can I catch up with you sometime? Can we go out for a coffee? Can we go for a walk? Ask questions. Maybe, just maybe, you'll get a chance to grow together. How do you deal with toddlers that uh, are so rebellious? How have, what has worked for you? What happens when your child suddenly becomes a teenager and they're no longer as compliant as they once were? Ask the hard questions. As as I continue to read through this passage uh, over the last few weeks, there's a key thought that jumps out as I've been reading. And that's the relationship between children and parents, fathers and those within the workforce whether we're an employee or employer, what struck me is that Paul's words are not dependent on the response of others. It's dependent on our relationship with Jesus. Nowhere do we read, if you're treated well, honour your parents. That it's okay to provoke your children if they're being obnoxious, disrespectful, or not listening when you ask them to clean their rooms. Our right conduct in the work environment, it's not conditioned on how we feel we're being treated. In all these relationships, the vertical relationship with Jesus ought to be the motivation for our actions. It is through this relationship that we learn to forgive a parent who's been unfair or a child that has taken our attempts to show love and grace and turned away from us or a work situation that continues to take us for granted. How can we not forgive, show grace, choose to hold no record of wrongs when all of these things have been lavished upon us as children of God? Right at the start of Ephesians, we saw that, adopted into the very family of God. 
Being transformed from the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ means we recognize these are all things God has and continues to abundantly supply to us. I'm not saying it's always easy to live out these attitudes towards those who have hurt us or even continue to hurt us. But we do know one who has suffered more than us. He who was misunderstood and rejected by those he came to serve, his own creation. Yet he forgave unconditionally. He gives us both an example to follow and his spirit to empower us to accomplish what would all seem too hard. We hear it very often, but it's true. We live in a broken world. There are no doubt people listening who are not anything like the words we have spoken about today. Yet the grace of God to forgive and to restore has no end. It's not depending on on our own worth, but on Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to give us what we could not fully experience for ourselves is this. We no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. We as a church family ask you to seek help from someone you trust if there are issues you need to deal with. But over and above everything else, go to our God, ask him to restore. Are we spirit-fed, spirit-led or self-led? It's in these most fundamental of relationships that the answer can best be found. As the music team is coming up, let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the privilege of, uh, in freedom, being able to look at your word together. I pray that you would continue to guide us into your truth, that we as a church would honour you in those areas of our lives where no one else sees, that we might be men, women, children of real character in this world. I ask that your spirit would be at work to continue to enlighten us, to challenge us, to grow us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.